I'm going to invite David up, David Rowe, there he is, uh, to, to look at Psalm 1 for us, to read that for us. Psalm 1, and it's to be found on the Church Bible on page 543, 543. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditate on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to to destruction. Well, you've probably said this lots of times this week. I know I have. Happy New Year. I, wasn't, I didn't know if anyone was going to say it back to me. Um, but I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get a chance to say it to you then. So I suppose Happy New Year would be an appropriate thing to say. But as I've seen people for the first time all throughout the week, I've been saying it. There's a new calendar year. I hope that yours is very happy. But what does that actually mean? What would it look like for it to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy. But how can we live a happy life? Well, that is what Psalm 1 is all about. It is how to live happily ever after. How to live the good life. Our psalm doesn't use the exact word happy. But it uses a sort of richer version of that when it says blessed. And it means a similar thing. To be blessed is to be happy and fortunate and to have things going well. To have God himself bless you. To have God giving you the good that you need. Psalm 1 is telling us how to be happy. How to live the blessed life. The blessed life. That's how verse 1 begins, isn't it? Blessed is the one who... Blah, 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 blah. The one who does these things, the one who doesn't do those things. The person who is really blessed is the person described in Psalm 1. And it's not who we might think. If you just look at the world around us, who seems to be blessed? Who seems to have it all? It's probably not Christians, is it? And yet the truth is, Christians are the blessed ones. We are the ones living the blessed life. The description in these first three verses is of ordinary Christian living. And we're being told here that really is the blessed life, the way to be happy. Let's see how it's described. The blessed life is different from the wicked. It's different from the wicked. It starts off with a negative thing, what we don't do. Let's read verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. 
So to live a blessed life is to live differently from the wicked, to live differently to the way everyone else does. Now, I used to be in the army cadets, and uh, we did a lot of marching. We did a lot of marching round and round the leisure centre car park, hoping you wouldn't see someone who you knew. And you had to walk in step. Left, right, left, right. And if you didn't, you would bash into somebody, or you'd certainly get shouted at by the drill sergeant. You had to walk in step with everybody else. Or to use a different illustration that gives you another angle on my teenage years, I also did a lot of musical theatre in my youth. And in all the big numbers, you have to keep in step with everybody else. You've got to keep in step with the music. You've got to keep in step with the rest of the cast. And in the same way as those things, the world around us is pressuring us into conformity. We've got to march to their instructions. We've got to dance to their tune. You've got to do what everybody else does. And we're being told here, no. No, the truly blessed life is different. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. The ones who don't do the same things as everybody else. Our lives are heading in a different direction to the people around us. And we have to believe that this is the blessed life, that that's the way to be happy, because otherwise we're absolutely not going to do it, are we? Unless we think, actually, this is the best way to go. We'll just go with everyone else. The next bit says the blessed person doesn't stand in the way that sinners take. And it's not about standing in someone's way. You know, they can't, sorry, you're in my way. I'll try to get past you. It's saying you don't go where they're going. So, so they're walking that way. Well, if I'm standing in the way they take, well, I've sort of gone a bit that way. And now that's where I'm standing. But somebody sort of loitering about. I'm not necessarily staying here. This is just where I am at the minute. But the way that sinners take, unsurprisingly, is towards sin. That is not a place to loiter, whether or not we're loitering with intent. It's putting ourselves in the way of temptation, and fairly soon we won't be loitering anymore. That will be where we belong, which is what the next bit warns of, doesn't it? The blessed ones don't sit in the company of mockers. You see the progression there, walking to standing to sitting. You've got sort of sauntering off down the wrong path and then stopping in a bad place and then getting quite comfortable and sitting down. I'm sure many of us can think of people who would have once called themselves Christians who have wandered off. And my guess is it would have started something like this. They would have started in little ways to walk the way that others walk. And then sooner or later, they stopped standing for Jesus, started standing with the crowd. And now there they are, sat down. Not sat here with us, but far away, settled in their decision to stop following God. And we're being told, don't go that way, don't walk that way, don't stand there, don't sit down. Let's be different. The seat that we're told not to sit in is the one that's surrounded by mockers. That is, people who mock the blessed way we want to live. People who think Christianity is ridiculous. People who don't mind telling us so. It's sometimes translated as scoffers. Sort of people going, huh, stupid. And that sort of person is everywhere, isn't it? Every TV show, every website, every school, every workplace, every high street. So when it says not to sit with them, it can't mean completely avoid them. How are you meant to go to work? 
How are you meant to have any friends? How are you meant to remain married, some of us, if we're meant to shun all sinners and spend no time with them? No, it, it can't mean that. It's saying, where do you belong? Do we belong among the mockers? Or are we actually different from the wicked? And this is a big thing for us because as Christians, we used to be the wicked, didn't we? This is not saying, blessed are the goodies like us. We're so good. And then, boo, the baddies. No, it's saying we used to be the wicked. We used to go that way. And that's where we sort of want to go sometimes still. We used to be that. But Jesus intervened. And he died to deal with all of that. And he's turned us around to live a different way, a more blessed way. It really is a more blessed way. And so we're different now. Not just because we do different things, but because we love different things. In particular, the blessed life involves delighting in the Word. We love God's Word. See, blessed is the one, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. Now, delighting in the Word is very different from the wicked, isn't it? But that's what we do. This is the different beat that we're marching to. It's the Word of God. The verse there talks about the law, and we hear the law, and we straight away go, ah, Ten Commandments, Leviticus, that kind of thing. But the word is for Torah or instruction. It's the name given to the first five books of the Bible, which, yes, includes Leviticus and the Ten Commandments, but it's more than that. It's kind of shorthand for God's Word. Yes, His laws, His commands, but also His promises and and the story of His salvation. Saying that Word, that law, that instruction, that is what we delight in. Now, if you told your friends, oh, the best way to live, the way to be happy is delighting in the Bible, what would they say to that? What would we even say to that? We might go, well, it's the right thing to do. Is it the best way? Is real happiness going to be found by really seriously delighting in what God says? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. God's Word is where hope and joy and blessing is going to be found. When we're tempted down the wrong path, it's going to be listening to Him and His Word that sets us right. When we're feeling despondent, It's going to be hearing his truth that lifts us up again. And that is why the blessed person meditates on God's law day and night. When we hear meditate, again, that's a word we've tended to think, oh, meditation, I know that one. That's sort of emptying your mind of stuff. But that, that is not what the Bible means by meditation. It is filling your mind with truth. I think I've said this before, but that idea of marinating might be a good word, a bit similar to meditating. Letting it soak in, letting the truth get in so we get all the flavor soaked in. Or or masticating, I suppose, chewing, chewing in over to get all the flavor and all the enjoyment out of it. The word meditation is actually connected to the word for muttering sort of repeating something over and over to yourself under your breath. Obviously, there's a, a weird way of doing that, a kind of uh, a mindless way of doing it. You look a bit, bit strange. But if you're trying to remember directions to something or trying to remember somebody's phone number or something like that, say it over to yourself. Left and then right and then... Saying it over like that, muttering to yourself, is really helpful. And it's that sort of thing that's saying we can do that with the Bible. We sort of 
saying it over to ourselves. I was reading this week about somebody, this is from a few hundred years ago, encouraging everybody to take a text and carry it with you all the day. That's a great idea, this idea of taking a verse or even a bit of a verse from the Bible and deliberately looking at it a number of times through the day. Maybe even setting an alarm to remind you, this o'clock, that o'clock, I'm going to look at that verse again and, and in that moment think, oh, what, what difference is this going to make to me right now? Or I'm going to think about this verse every time I put the kettle on today. Whatever it is, to be actually stopping and thinking about these words are actually true right here and now. This wasn't just for church. This wasn't just for my lovely little sort of quiet time thing I did. This is for chewing on through the day. This is still true and letting it impact how we're feeling in that moment, what we're doing in that moment. Maybe turning it into prayer. As we start the new year, lots of people often think about getting back into some kind of Bible reading plan. You sort of think, oh, I don't know how I did last year. I was trying to read the Bible in a year. I've only got 66 books to catch up on before the end of the year, that kind of thing. And, and that is a really good thing. If, if you're wanting to get into that, do come and chat with me or I'm sure others too will be able to uh, help, give a bit of advice on that. But can I encourage you as well, don't just read the Bible, meditate on it, reflect on it, chew it. And that's kind of what we're hoping some of these evening services are going to be good for, helping us to not just hear it, but chew it over, help us to respond to it. Because delighting in the Word is more than just hearing it or reading it. It involves obeying, responding. Because it's the opposite of the walking, standing, sitting of the wicked. The only way we're going to go the right way is by letting God's Word sink in like that. And the impact of all of that will be, according to this psalm, doing well. Verse 3. It says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's a picture of a blessed life, isn't it? Doing well. It's a lovely picture of this tree, not just sort of a scraggly bush that probably needs to be pulled up. No, it's a flourishing tree deliberately planted, and it's been planted where it's going to grow. It's been planted by streams of water. The person who's delighting in the Word and different from the wicked is going to have everything that they need to be fruitful, to have fruit that lasts. Whatever they do prospers. That sounds good, doesn't it? But what does that mean? Is this the prosperity gospel I've been warned about? It does say Everything he does prospers, doesn't it? Well, hang on. But no, the, the prosperity gospel is the idea that being a Christian will guarantee you good health and financial wealth. And they twist verses like this to make it mean that. Ironically, they twist verses like this to make it much more like the way of the wicked. What is it that the wicked want? Well, they want success and health and money and everything comfortable now. And... And that is not where following God always leads us, is it? We think about Jesus. He is the ultimate person this psalm points to. He is the one who is blessed. He is the one person who didn't walk in step with the wicked. The one person who really did delight in the law of the Lord. Did he end up healthy and successful? He was poor. He was homeless. He ended up killed. And yet still outrageously blessed spiritually speaking jesus was and jesus is 
a tree planted by streams of water. His life was, his life is fruitful in a way that lasts for eternity. It's so fruitful, it's in a way that makes it possible for wicked people like us to join him in this blessing. So this isn't talking about outward physical prosperity. It's talking about something much more real, much more long-lasting, much deeper, this inner prosperity, if you like, doing well, even when not everything is going well. And at the same time, when we get to the new creation, we will also have all those physical blessings thrown in as well. Now, none of this, I think, makes sense without an eternal perspective. If we just think about here and now, we're going to say, oh, I follow God, everything's going to go great, and then it won't, and then we'll give up. Or we'll go, well, it's all about here and now. Well, down the wicked path, they actually seem to be having a lot more fun. I might go down there. But no, it's when we look further ahead, down the road to what's coming, that the choice becomes clear. And we see that the wicked life is not the blessed life at all. While God's blessed people are like well-watered trees, what is it like for other people? Verse 4 and 5 tell us, don't they, no uncertain terms, not so the wicked. All of that good stuff, not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Being told that the, the wicked will be destroyed in the wind. They're going to be blown away with the breeze. It's the absolute opposite of a tree, isn't it? A piece of chaff. Chaff is like the dry husk on a plant. So you've got sort of stalks of corn, a lovely juicy grain that comes off it, but you've also got all the useless kind of flaky bits that come off as well, the bits of shell. So if you think sort of pistachio nuts as well, you sort of go, uh, you open that up, yum, yum, yum. Oh, I've had a lot of pistachios over Christmas, that kind of thing. And then you've got the chaffy kind of shell rubbish. And it's saying that stuff that you separate out, that is what they're like, not, not the good stuff that you want to keep. And, and with corn or with grain, you separate out all this chaff from the grain by chucking it in the air and all the heavy bits fall down and all the wind blows away all the rubbishy bits. And that's what it's talking about here when it says they're like the chaff that the wind blows away. The stuff that just gets swept off in a corner, maybe in the compost. Right now, the wicked seem to be solid. But in the long run, we're told that they'll be destroyed. They're not trees. If you're here this evening and you're not putting your trust in Jesus, and you feel very strong and very secure, you are not. Actually, it's very precarious. There's a judgment day coming, and on that day, we're told Those people will not stand. They will not sit among God's righteous people. So right now, they are mocking and they're saying, come and sit with us. You want to be sat with us. And they feel sorry for us. And maybe even we feel sorry for ourselves. But Psalm 1 helps us take the longer view, doesn't it? That eventually, that is where we want to be sitting. That's where we want to be. Sometimes the gospel is summed up as uh, two ways to live. I don't know if you've seen that. Two ways to live. And and in a way, Psalm 1 is two ways to live. But really, it's one way to live, one way to die. It is as stark as that. The only way to the blessing that lasts is faith in Jesus. 
It's repenting of our sins so we live differently. Trusting in him, delighting in his words. This is not something we deserve, but we can be blessed. And that's how the psalm ends, with absolute confidence that this is what's going to happen. Verse 6, it's going to happen, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The Lord watches over us. He guides us. He leads us where he's taking us. And he will make sure that this is what happens. So what is the blessed life? How can we be happy? We're being told here the really happy, really blessed life is responding to God now in obedience and faith. And if that describes you, well, then you are incredibly, incredibly blessed.